And now, Touch My Bass Productions presents The Shootout with Bill Blanchard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Shootout on Touch My Bass Productions. I am your host, Survivor Opinion, Bill Blanchard. And we've done a lot of shows here lately, and i got to tell you something, guys. This has been a long time coming for me. It's been my personal dream to get this man on my show, and I can't believe it's finally here, guys. I'll tell you what, this, this is probably the main event of the year for this show. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got the man himself. He's been the owner, promoter, referee, wrestler all over the CSRA. He's got a really big name, real respected name. Probably the most respected person I've had on this show. I'm pleased to announce I have him right here. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm, I'm gonna be no holes barred with him. Ask me every kind of question I can think of about his career. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I've got Chris Wiggins. Wiggins. What's up, brother? How's it going, man? Hey man. It, this is actually the first time I think we've been able to we we come across our paths our paths yeah. have crossed Many times, we've had very small conversations, but this thing this is the first time we've actually sat down. I know, and are going to be able to talk one on one. I'm hopefully I'm going to be able to open up all the floodgates here and answer anything you want to to ask. And um, but we're gonna. I'm, I, I didn't know it was called the shootout. Yeah, I didn't do shootout. my research coming in here. <laughs> it's kind of a, a spontaneous thing for me to do. Spontaneous thing for me to do, and I, I really do appreciate you. Uh, I have not. I've been on one. Radio show since the closing of Flatline. That was okay. Georgia Wrestling History uh, with Larry Goodman and Steve Platinum. Those guys did a great job with me. Um, we kept that. Uh, they touched on some things. I feel that you're really going to open the door on a lot of things that have been kind of rooming around in the CSRA. Things that I probably don't even know about. So I'm, okay. I'm gonna, hopefully I can be open and honest and we can have a good show here. Hey, I'm going to try my best here. You know, I, I, I remember the very first time I actually laid eyes on you. I just came back from Afghanistan. Really, like when a couple of days back from Afghanistan, you know, I was trying to find Chris. He be moving all over the place, and he told me he has his AWF Metro going on. You know, I went to his house in his backyard, and you was talking to somebody. I don't know if it was Brandon Parker or it might have been some, trying, it might have been Milford. I can't remember. I, I knew I knew who those guys were before I got deployed. You were doing his best Dusty Rose promo I've ever seen. And you were like his best impression. I was like, oh my god, this guy can really talk, you know. And then, and then um. And then, I, then, you know, then later on, I saw you training one time with, with, with Parker in the ring. I could not get over the speed you had. You know, I'm just I'm going through transition from real wrestling to sports entertainment. You know, I'm just starting to learn the whole you know bump scenario. I saw you took like ten bumps, just like it went like nothing. You just boom, 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 boom. You know, and the promos were cut in the ring. I was just like, man, this guy's actually pretty good. And I called out Chris. This this first question I wanted to ask you. I called out Chris. I said, Chris, who trained this guy? What's this guy named Wiggins? So Wiggins. Oh, Aunt Wiggins is a god in wrestling. This guy taught himself. I'm like, Chris, come on, really? He's like, yes. He didn't, he wasn't trained by nobody. He didn't pay for no training. His man taught himself. He, he he sees it and he does it. So that's my first question. Who really taught you? Was it true? Uh, okay, so yeah, that, there's a huge part of that that is extremely true. Mm-hmm. Um, every wrestling fan uh, that is over the age of 20 knows this particular show. One of it's probably, in my opinion, set the foundation for reality television. Yeah. Uh, amongst the uh, real world and um, road rules, it was WWE tough enough. And if you watched the very first season, the head trainer was Al Snow, yes, who was. is notorious for being a big trainer in all of professional wrestling around the world. And there is about two or three episodes where he just goes on and talks nothing about bumps. And he shows how they bump. He showed how they were hitting the ropes. Triple H came on and showed how to take a punch, how to throw a punch, and how to take a bump off the punch and how you should sell. Mm-hmm. And through those shows, it's essentially how I learned these are the basics of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. I took that, 
I went and met Daniel Maine and uh, and my buddy John Hurst backyard, yeah. who was my childhood friend. And he was like, "Hey, these guys are doing renegade. Well, what, in the business we call renegade shows, but right, time, right. to be honest, it was backyard wrestling. Um, but it wasn't like crazy backyard wrestling. It was legitimately like these guys were taking what they saw in WWE, WWE or WWF, from WCW and ECW, and transitioning it into the backyard and trying to make it legitimate as possible with backyard funds." Um, I, I wrestled in high school. Um, I took that at, that attitude. Uh, I wrestled for about two years, and every moment that I had where I wasn't practicing or training at wrestling school or actually at school, um, I had the guys give me hip toss and I was taking back bumps and flip bumps and everything like that. I was tra- trying to do what I was seeing on television, mm-hmm. and like most people, when they see it on television, they want to go in and they want to try the moves. We've seen videos where guys have failed doing the 450s and the backflips. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to try the basics. That was my that was my thing because my idea was to go to WWA4. Um, and this is back in uh, 2002, 2003. So essentially, yes, it is true. Um, I am a self-taught on the basics of bumping, um, running the ropes. Later on, I got to uh, have opportunities to be in the ring with guys who knew what we're doing, who were professionally trained by some, some really good uh, people. Um, and they were telling me, like, hey, this is how they did it back in the 70s and 80s. You can hear Stone Cold Steve Austin talk about it. I went to gentleman Chris Adams. I went to the wrestling school that he had, a sportatorium. Mm-hmm. We learned ba- basic bumping. And the next thing you know, it was on the road for, you know, two or three weeks you know, learning my craft. That's essentially the route that I wanted to take. Yeah. Um, and that is the route that I, I did take. And I, I ran into a lot of guys. Uh, predominantly Sergeant Solitude of the Charleston area is really one of the ones that I would say that taught me how to really work um, when it came to actually in-ring stuff. I, I mean, I can bump all day long, but if you don't know how to work properly, right, um, you're not really going to make it very far in this business. And that, that's essentially that's how I learned. I taught myself the basics, and then... Went on the road. Um, I was very fortunate to have Eric Milford uh, take me under his wing for a little bit, introduce me to some people, and um, from there it's just history. So when you first got with uh, Eric Milford, that was your first introduction to Daniel Means Flatland Championship Wrestling. Yeah, it was. It was at that time. It was in the what we didn't know the church property behind. Right. It was actually it was Daniel's house. It was the backyard, and then I behind that there was like a wooded area. And um, my initial conversation with Daniel, I didn't meet Eric until the day, actually, I think I started wrestling there. Um, and I told Daniel, I was like, yeah, man, I want to be a manager, I want to be a ring announcer, a commentator, a referee, or something like that. Because truly, like, I never, I liked being a wrestler. It was fun. But, like, getting into the business, I did a lot of research. ECW had folded. That's where I originally yeah. wanted to go. I wanted to go to Taz's school yeah. because I knew that in ECW there was no limits on size. WWE was hiring guys who were six foot two, six exactly. foot four, uh, minimum two hundred fifty pounds. I'm the, realistically at that time was one hundred seventy one pounds. I was five nine. I was not growing anymore. Um, I could put weight on. I actually got to like one eighty five. Was doing really well there. And I just realized that, like, WWF was not going to be a goal for mine. So it was like, I want to be a referee. And Daniel Mayne saw me bump, knew about my high school training. Um, we did some stuff, got me on the mic. 
did some interviews and stuff like that, and it was like, nope, you are not going to be a referee, you're not going to be a manager, you're not going to be a commentator, you are going to be a wrestler. And um, and that's where it started, and I told Daniel every day that I hate him for that. <laughs> well, why do you hate him? you got a good career, though. I, I, mean, I had a fun career, don't get me wrong. Um, I just... I've always said this, and this is about my personal life. This yeah. is about my wrestling life. Yeah. I just feel like I was in the wrong era of wrestling. Um, my wrestling style, uh, I was a huge fan of Bret Hart. Yes, um, me too. Huge fan of Owen Hart telling stories. I didn't have the agility Owen Hart had. But I had the mindset of what Bret Hart had. That was my idea was to try to make this look as believable as possible. Yes, we are in a craft where it is showmanship. It plays a big part of it. It is a, I like to refer to it as a live-action stunt show. Yes. Um, but with full-force contact. Uh, it is a contact sport, in, in my opinion, depending on who you're working, what kind of style you're working, and where you're working at. Um, but I wanted to make it legitimate as possible. I never wanted anybody to come and question, like, oh, man, I know this stuff's fake, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Every time I was in the ring, I wanted them to feel that what I was doing in there was 100% real because in my mind it was. Um, but I, I took a lot of wrestling stuff from like Jerry Lawler at Fist Drop. I never I remember this. Um, I always told people that I don't do the flippy do's and I don't do the flippy don'ts. And no flipping. Uh, the highest maneuver I did was uh, elbow drop off the top. I did fist drops off the middle rope. And those things made me stand out yes. because I was very old school looking. My problem was that I couldn't evolve with the wrestling business, in my opinion, uh, being able to do what they call spot working in the business, you know, of going out there and picking like A, B, C, and D and doing all this spot stuff. I was really just like, hey, let's find the beginning. Let's start off with the beginning. Let's find a middle point and let's get a finish. And everything in between, let's just feel the crowd. And some majority of places you can go, you can do that. Some places they want to see those fast-paced matches. Yeah, and I'm a very slow, methodical guy. Yeah. Um, so that, it's just kind of like how I how things how I thought about wrestling, um, and I just I feel like maybe I I'm very happy with where I'm at in, in my life and in wrestling. Don't get me wrong, but I know that my my place in wrestling would be a lot different if I'd gone the, the route of being a professional wrestling a wrestling referee. Outstanding, man. But um, you know, before I get you know a little bit further down the road, I want to backtrack just a little bit here. Now, you said you was an amateur wrestler in high school. What high school did you go to? I went to Evans High School. How good were you? Where's I was wrestling? terrible. Oh no, I was terrible. Let me tell you why I was terrible. Because um, Evans High School, the, when I um, when I started wrestling as a sophomore in high school, the program was only three years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greenbrier High School had just started their wrestling yes. program. Uh, Lakeside High School had had a program. I think ten or fifteen years. Actually, had a wrestling club. Um, it, most people don't even know what amateur wrestling is in, in high school. Not around here. Um, there's very few schools that actually do it. It's not a sport that's very popular here in the South. No, it's not. It's a very big sport up north. I mean, there's people that train from the ages of three and up. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I just, you know, we didn't have a real good wrestling team um, because we all none of us really knew. There were some guys who stood out, who got it, who were flexible, who could do it, who learned really quick. Um, the program was so, um, in such an early stage, it wasn't developed. It was underfunded. Um, my first wrestling coach was coach Williams. He was a graduate of Georgia Southern university. He was the, uh, football coach. And, um, he also uh, wrestled in high school. Uh, he wrestled in college at Georgia Southern university. And, uh, my other coach was Mr. Garvin who had no ability, none, had no idea on even how wrestling worked as an amateur level. 
but knew that this program could be something if he put the time in. I don't think either one of those coaches are actually there. I think they were there a couple of years and then they left. But they were both football coaches. Uh, wrestling season uh, for most schools is year-round, mm-hmm. whereas for us it started after football season. Yeah. Well, the yeah. year I started, we actually ended up going to the state playoffs. So uh, our wrestling season actually started like two months late. So we were behind the curve with a whole bunch of guys who had no clue how to wrestle. So the conditioning wasn't there. Uh, the muscle build wasn't there. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that weren't there that other schools have been working on all year round. Um, I got injured. I wrestled my first wrestling match, 42 seconds long, first round, gone. Guy pinned me uh, because I wrestled at the, like 185 uh, weight class against a guy who from Pepsville High School who was a three-time state champion. <laughs> so he slammed me. We called it the slam hurt around the world. I separated my shoulder. Um, for people who don't know what a separation is versus a uh, dislocation, right. it's where you're basically the ligaments and the muscles of your arm become bruised and they separate yes. from the actual shoulder. Uh, so I need to say my first wrestling match, I was actually out for a month and a half with rehab. Um, he put me in a ball and chain, which is very hard to describe, but I'll try to do my best. It's basically, he's in a standing up position and he has my shoulders pinned to the mat with my legs up in the air and my hand actually through my own legs. Um, it's almost like a small cradle of some sorts for professional wrestling guys. Yeah. And it was very demeaning, and it was just like, oh, I felt so bad, and I was hurting. And, and so that was my first experience in amateur wrestling. I ended up becoming a secondary guy uh, because I was out, and there was another guy who moved up in weight class. Um, I never won a wrestling match. I learned a lot from it. Um, and then my idea was never to go in and be the best wrestler. It was, this was going to be – I needed some, side of, some sort of athletic ability – uh, or um, idea to go into wrestling school. That was my idea, was to merge these two. And yeah. wrestling, which I learned how to do shoot wrestling that way. So, um, and I learned a lot. And um, according to Danny Thurman, which nobody on that's probably listening is going to know this guy, but he is a local uh, MMA fighter. Um, he is just a 100% brawler. Uh, I sprawled with him many times, and he was like, to. dude, you totally need to get into MMA because you're a wrestling background is good enough to be to lay uh, a good base to move into MMA. And I was like, look, here's the thing. I don't like getting punched in the face for real. Um, you know, I like getting slapped. I can take a snug punch every now and then. But for somebody to literally try to come out and kill me for five minutes for three rounds, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you know, I've been wanting to ask you this question ever since I've known about you. I've always used to – I used to harass Chris about this too when I first heard about, you know, when I was asking questions about you when Chris were mentioning you. I might have been in 03 and 04 about your amateur wrestling background. And he says, he's an amateur wrestler. I want to fight this guy. I'm like, well, I, I want to fight this guy. If he's an amateur wrestler. I want to test my skills against him. I was in a Greco-Roman wrestling team for the United States Marine Corps. You know, I don't know if you knew this. Now, how AWF got started initially, we wanted a wrestling team. And the school wasn't not that was their wrestling teams. So we, we signed a petition, yeah. and nobody didn't want to do it. So when we first started doing AWF, it was all real wrestling, shoot wrestling. And I just came off. My ego was really, really high. I just came off beating the uh, – North Carolina state champion, you know, he was in my platoon. He was uh, ranked number four in the state of North Carolina. And the next year he won the state title. So when he matched me and him up, they said, we're going to put this fake-ass backyard wrestler, Bill Blanchard, Corporal Blanchard, and we're going to put me in Sergeant Hicks. And then everybody came out and did it, you know. And I actually got him in a guillotine choco. He, he shot me down. I got him in a guillotine choco. He picked me up slammed me three times in the back of my head, but I did not let go. And he finally tapped out. You know, it was over, like, in the 90 seconds. 
You know, so I was like, you know, and then like I called Chris to the phone. I was like, yeah, you got to come meet Wiggins. He's an amateur wrestler. This dude's a wrestling god, you know. I'm like, really? I want him. When I come down to visit y'all, when I come down to visit y'all this weekend, you meet, you find me Chris Wiggins, and I will find this guy. Put him in the ring with Let's me. Let's be honest about two things you just said. There. One, um, I'm not a wrestling god. I, I do think that with my lack of um, – I, I mean, I definitely took a different road. Yeah. Everybody's road to wrestling is going to be completely different. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I wish I would have been in a different area to be able to go to a real wrestling school. Um, I did have some training, like I said, with some wrestlers. I actually went and did some training with a local guy here. Um, he does not – I don't know. He doesn't remember me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he does, but I know he doesn't. Uh, we did training at Bernie Ward Gymnasium uh, for about like three or four months, and then all of a sudden he just kind of disappeared on us and, you know, whatever. But – uh uh, so I'm not a wrestling god. I may have a lot more intelligence, and I think it's because it's more passion. So I, I like a sponge when it comes to wrestling so much. I learn a lot from a lot of people really quick. Um, and the second thing is I have never, ever been in a fight, ever. I've never thrown a legitimate punch in a fight. Wow. I may have hit people before because we're in the wrestling business. What yeah, we do. of course. Never been in a fight. Wow. You know why? Why's that? Because I'm a good talker. <laughs> I talk my ass out of every fight I've ever been in. <laughs> awesome, bro. Well, I mean, you know, you know, I, I heard a lot of talk about, about you guys with Flatline. You know, normally when I was in Kelman June or in Okinawa, Japan, I would show y'all stuff to everybody, you know, and, and, and I took a lot of pride in that. You know, but Christopher had nothing but good things to say about you. I'll, I'll honestly, I'm not, he's not, I'm not trying to put him over and everything. He talked a lot of shit about a lot of guys, and I can't wait to get him on the show. You know what Christopher said about you, you know, just looking at his face, he was going to die or not, but you're one of the few. Might be one other person. I'm not gonna mention his name, but you're one of the few he actually looked up to, you know. Well, that being said, I'm gonna go look forward here. You know, what was your experience in Metro wrestling with Chris Dickens? You know, that was a, it was a place we had in between. Um, you know, Flatline, Flatline Championship Wrestling FCW had closed down because we got kicked out of the yard. Yeah, yeah. And we were in the process of moving from Daniel's backyard. Uh, we went up to uh, another place in Harlem. We got kicked out of that place. Was it Lord's Roofing? It was Lord's Roofing. I and which I did, I was like kind of up and down with that because it was like going to college and working at the same time, so I was in and out with that. And um, so, I, you know, really, like I just graduated high school. Um, I quit my job. Uh, my girlfriend broke up with me like two weeks before we were supposed to go, or two days before we were supposed to go on vacation. And uh, so I hung out with Chris Dickens and Brandon Parker at this house, from which Chris, I actually went to that house like next door to it like two weeks ago on call. <laughs> So I was like looking around. I was like, "Where's the ring at? Where's the ring?" You know, like here's the thing. Um, that was that was a, a time like Steve Austin had an opportunity to go to ECW, yes, and just like get all the anger he had. And Chris knows it because he gave me opportunities. Like, man, just let it out. Yeah, um, he's good about that. So I did a big promo on my ex girlfriend, like to, to Ralph Rip. I think I helped uh, develop more of what the Devin Wright character yes. uh, was. Um, I got to bring out the hardcore side of me, like to let out a lot of anger. Where we can't, we developed this. Uh, was supposed to be like a a rip off of. Uh, it was a rip off of Draven character, the Brandon Parker character. It was supposed to be that, and I just like, no, we're gonna go a completely different direction with this. And Earl Mace was there, was a good close friend of us, and he looked like the pig guy off of Captain America. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> So, like, he wanted to be a wrestler, and I was like, this guy, nice guy. Yeah. Very impressionable guy, though. Mm-hmm. And he looked up to a lot of us, um, 
But it's like, you either have it or you don't. And like, no offense to him. I love him to death. He's a good guy. Uh, he didn't have it. And this is a shootout. So I'm shoot. He didn't have it. So like, we went out there, and he wants to be a hardcore wrestler because guys who were lacking that wrestling ability, who were trying to get in, were doing the hardcore stuff at the time. And that. so like, Chris was like, let him go out there and you know, have a hardcore match with him. And I was a huge fan of Terry Funk and ECW. The Funker. I would, so I would go on these tantrums of just throwing stuff and squealing like a pig. And so I came to a point where I was like, squeal, pig, squeal. And I would hit him, and I was beating him with kendo steak. So that game morphed into that. And like we yeah. had this like pig on the pole match, and so like we came up. With, he went. We went to Walmart. We bought this like seven dollar pig. We hung it up on it from a tree. And we did a ladder match, and like I won it. And I, yeah, like I, I beat actually Chris Dickens for this pig that I still have this day. And if I would have thought about it, you were going to bring that up, I would have brought it so you oh, could wow. see it. But, <laughs> yeah, so that so like it was like really awesome, fun time. Everybody yeah. got together. It was not so much like to me that time frame was not about wrestling. Um, it was about character development, and that's what we really did. And, and and it was an opportunity for Chris to be able to take things that he knew people had. I mean, and I'm gonna give it to him. I told it to him day one. I feel like he is the Paul Heyman of uh, the Augusta area because, and that's the only person I can compare it to because. He knew how to find the faults in those people and take those and wash them away and bring out their pros, the positive things that they had. And and that was one of the things Paul Heyman always said, and that's one of the things that I always took from Paul Heyman from the Beyond the Bat documentary. Which yes. Was, Let's hide the negatives and insinuate the positives. Exactly. And, and Chris did that. He knew that he was not going to have the com- the big computer production programs that other people had. And he literally, you wouldn't, at the time, before HD was even known about, he was taking tapes and splicing them together yep. and then recording them with, like, a microphone or something with uh-huh. a video, you know, a tape player playing the song and a CD. And, I was like, and, and putting it together and hitting the cues just like that, the things that people go to school for, and he just had a natural ability for it. Did. And he was taking people who didn't have a creative vision mm-hmm. and giving them a vision. And he did really well with it. Um, the wrestling was garbage. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. The only thing that looked good was some bumps, some six. Somebody got – was it you that got hit with the uh, – you got hit with like an electric box or something like that yeah. and got knocked out? Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was you and Tweeter, it was a, it wasn't it? It was a GameCube. Yeah. So <laughs> there was some really dumb things that happened there. But I don't think anybody that went there went there for wrestling. Yeah. Because Chris opened his home. Uh, Metro was more about let's all hang out and let's have a good time. That's what it was all about. Um, so it was not building the business. It was just like let's go out and have a great time. Great time. Outstanding, bro. Um, we'll move a little bit forward. You know, when I, uh, I got my sick of oars and go over to Iraq and when Fallujah first broke out and when I came back in 05, I mean, I was, I was very bitter about it. I mean, my friend, uh, you might know him as Fear and Gargans kind of had a falling out of it because a lot of Marines was killed. Some of them that I knew personally doing with the old um, – you know, the Army generals fired firing shots in Fallujah, and, and just, you know, anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. Was, well, the reason why I did, you know, I was looking for an outlet myself. I wanted to get back into it, and I, I wanted to wrestle. I had a lot of anger built up, and I wanted to um, call, you know, Christopher didn't let that town. He didn't went, he didn't got uh, with Gaskin, I think, Carolina at the time. You know, I didn't know who we were being talked to. You know, Jay was stationed in Atlanta at the time. Was it Carolina or Arizona? Well, he, First was Carolina. Carolina, then he went to Arizona. Arizona wasn't until, like, 2000. When I, got a, when I got a hold of David Clark, David Clark actually had Daniel May's phone number. And I, I picked him up and said, man, what can I do to get in? 
you know, and then we went to, you know, Fallon's place, and, you know, they didn't got a ring out there and everything, and then I love to set up, you know, out there. Wait, 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 wait. I give credit to her dad, her Jack. Her dad, yeah, Jack. Because he, yeah. he worked out on Fort yeah. Gordon with his brother, uh-huh. George, and uh, they found, like, this huge, like, multiple metal racks and shelves and stuff, and right. he made a ring out of that. Very yeah. creative guy. They, you know, I'll let you continue on, but I just want to give him props Oh, I was, I, was, I was getting it, Jack. I know he he, he wanted to build the ring. I, I, I taught Jack. I thought he was a class act guy. You know, he was very, very respectful of me. And that's my first start at, you know, you know, you know, training and everything. But how did that come about when you guys, you know, really started, started doing shows there, I think almost every Saturday night or every other Saturday night, and then y'all start having practices and everything. How did all that get started? I mean, who who, who made the call? Who's going to be training? Who has studied new enough to start teaching people? Because the first criticism I ever heard outside, you know, of our area from Flatline, it says these guys are just, you know, a glorified backup promotion. They think they're freaking trained. They think they know what they're doing. These guys are no scrap or disgrace of wrestling. What was your thoughts of that? I mean, I mean, the one to hear this from was from guys like, you know, J.C. Walker, Gary Rucker, even Tim Timothy says, oh, no, I'm not too, I don't want to talk about Flatline, you know. Right. This, yeah. is, this is what I met you know, years later. This is what y'all told me about this back then, because you had a bunch of guys who thought they knew what wrestling was, and what was their name? They're, they're the internationals? Morgan McNeil, another guy. You no, know, that, Morgan McNeil. Yeah, that so was, I, uh, I can hit all, hit yeah. all that. So um, really what happened was we did, we did the uh, Fallon's dad had built that ring, they built a ramp. Eric's create one of the most creative guys. Yeah, um, I, I, I that I could about. ever really think about. Uh, came up with the set. You know, Daniel did all the production stuff for yeah. us, getting the wiring and set up the lights and getting the sound system going. And uh, I'm very grateful for for uh, Jack and his family allowing us to come out there. I mean, a whole bunch of guys who were you know from the age of 18 to like 25. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To just open up his myself. not only his yard uh, but his his home. I mean, it was a place that I was hanging out every weekend. Um, you know, I mean, over there's a lot of a lot of things going up and down. You know, over the years, but really, what happened was um, there. If you look at the if you look at the roster, let's just for the second numbers here. Let's just say okay. 20, 20 people. Yeah, yeah. Let's say out of those twenty people, that none of those there's only like four or five of those people still wrestling today, mm-hmm. and those four or five people, are the same people who have had had it. Yeah. The ones who grasped the business, the ones who knew the charisma, who had charisma, the ones who could bump, the ones who knew how to put matches together, the ones who knew how to tell stories. That's where all these people from the outside were looking at these things. They're just glorified backyarders. Yeah. And some of the people will say it out of spite, but like Matt Cruz, Deuce, they were there. Um, they helped, they helped, get, they helped us get yeah. over. Uh, JC Walker was there. Uh, he helped us get over. Bull Pusky. Um, yeah, I, I think T Money T Money was not part of that deal till later on uh-huh. because I think him and Bull Putsky were having some issues. Yeah, and Bull Putsky, this is the first time I ever stepped foot in a legitimate wrestling ring. Uh-huh. I tag teamed with Deuce, uh-huh. um, and I think they, they call him Taco in the Cornelia area. The Wild Side guys would know who I'm talking about then. Um, so I tag teamed with him against Eric and this other guy. I don't even remember his name now, and um, that. Uh, Bull Pusky took us there mm-hmm. because him and him and uh, T Money had fallen out prior mm-hmm. to this, and he was like, "Well, I need some backup, you know. Like, if anything goes down, you guys are gonna have my back." We're like, yeah, man. Like, whatever. We're like, we're all young. We don't know. And like, apparently, like, Eric had some connections into wrestling in some other different places. Um, from I'm, I'm not 100 percent on that. I mean, from what I've seen, everything kind of came into play on yeah. that. But that's essentially how it kind of 
kind of helped out like all these guys who have been in the business, who have been trained at WFJ and whatnot. Um, you know, it come come to Flatline. They did a couple of yard shows to kind of help us out. They scoped out who was going to be the good ones, who weren't going to be the bad, who were going to be the bad ones. Yeah. They took those guys. They took them to WFJ, and we all went to training with uh, you know T Money in his in his backyard that he had the ring set up. Yeah. And I remember that very very much because so, I remember JC Walker giving me a face wash and he gave me a black eye. And I was really pissed off about that. And that's one of the things that we talk about now because we have the respect level is completely different than what it was oh, back yeah, then. Yeah. Um, but essentially, that's how that's how the core group moved on, and that core group was like Eric Milford, Brandon Parker, it was like me. Um, I think we were trying to get Danny Thurman, King of Hearts, into that, yeah. and he just went like I said, he went to MMA, he went to career. MMA. Um, oh yeah, I, so I, essentially, I, I sparred with him a little bit. Yeah, so essentially, that's how that happened. And then uh, we were doing shows at night; uh, it was free. We were having let me let's say, glorified backyard wrestling company. We had three hundred people there at one time. I, that's that's the number that was given to me. I know we were doing 125 on a regular. Um, then in the cold months we do like 25 because it's yeah, cold. It was cold. But we had they had concessions like uh, Fallon's mom ran concessions oh, yeah. and her oh, aunt yeah. and stuff like that. They had, and, you know, it's a I'm huge family that. net deal, and they they ran the concessions. We took donations, and I'm not I'm not going to quote on how the rest how the independent ring that they bought. I have no clue what money where the money came from. I know that from my understanding there was multiple hands. They helped get the money uh, to be able to do it. And uh, when they bought the ring, I believe that it was in excellent condition. There was very little work that needed to be done. And then it was like they found a building. And then it was like, oh, we're going to start doing shows at Patriots Park. And it was like, we're going to take the flatline shows that we do in the backyard. We're just going to do it at Patriots Park. Mm-hmm. And they actually had like, a very small cult following that followed them from the yard to there. Because the things that did not draw at Patriots Park right off the rip were the fact that out in the yard, people got to bring coolers of beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was wide open. Yeah. It was a, from the age five to 65-year-old, wide open show. I mean, you had the 21-year-old people out there raising hell and kicking back and drinking beers and having fun. Yeah. It was good old dirty, you know, 1980 Southern wrestling. I, I, that's exactly what um, I said when I first saw it. So, yeah, and then, like, so, you know, when you, when you move that area and you start putting a ticket price and you give a value to your company – some people are going to follow that. Some people don't. So, like every business, when you move locations, when you upgrade, it had to start off on the bottom, and then, and then eventually it worked the way up. Um, so it, that's just kind of how, quick, in a really quick nutshell, that's how it evolved. Eric picked and chose who did what. Um, I was kind of involved in that here and there. Yeah, uh, I did a little bit of the training. The main guy who did a lot was uh, Grayson. Uh, Live Oregon. Live Oregon. Great that guy, I don't know, how long did he do that gimmick? He did it for a while. Never said a word. Perfect. Um, he was really good. He knew it. I remember a match we and him had one night. He had studied uh, a match with Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart from uh, SummerSlam. I knew one. Um, and he was like, we're going to do that. We're going to do the exact match. And we did from beginning to end. And he, he had a good mind for the business. I, I think, like, we're, we were all young, uh, so, you know, I don't even know where he's at now. I, I, heard, I heard Russell I heard, in North Carolina. I heard he got out of the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, you know, moved on and got away from here and, you know, wish him the best of luck. But he was one of the main guys who did the training. Um, I, I think that, like, William, who was Brian Baldwin and uh, Morgan McNeil, they f- found them through some sort of uh, social media, yeah. I would say MySpace. 
and they had an amateur wrestling career background from Westside High School, and uh, these guys were doing the same thing we were doing, just never in a ring. Yeah. And Morgan McNeil is unbelievable. Uh, athletic ability, his agility was amazing. Uh, Brian Baldwin, uh, William was a you know a monster, very lean guy, very fit. Uh, so that's kind of how they had, and they had good character. Um, but if you really wanted to, the brainchild was I, a lot of the creative direction was given by Eric. Uh, the production stuff obviously came from Daniel Maine, um, and then the bookers who helped out Eric were coming and going. Um, you know, it was like I mean Daniel Peterson. Uh, he was a good, solid worker. Blew his knee out at a WFJ show, um, so yeah, that about to ended his about career. To bring him up, actually. Um, you know, he he was in and out of the booking room. Uh, Grayson was in and out of the booking room. I was in and out of the booking room. So there's a lot of people that had their hands involved. Uh, you know, and Eric was really good about scouting talent and event. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what kind of, from my understanding, he has. I believe he is related from to. Like second cousins or something like that by marriage or something to like Hillbilly Jim, and so there's some ties there. Like I said, he had some really good connections and knew some people, and he definitely started the the uh, a lot of the FCW stuff and, and networked. He definitely knew how to network. Well, during this time, in this time of Flatline, I think it was in uh, 2006 or 2007, Christopher had just uh, came back to Georgia. And I mean, we, we were hearing a lot of rumors, you know. And granted, you know, I want to clarify this now. It was never our intention to try to go world flatline because, you know, I, I heard something. I might have made some threats. It was toward Morgan McNeil. Now, granted, me and Morgan McNeil that met and talked about it, you know, I don't know if he was at this show or not where, you know, me and, you know, Gargans were very sensitive about the deal. We were there. We fought at it. And, you know, I. I still deal with issues to this day about it. But it was during the time period, um, you know, Saddam Hussein was already been tried, hung, he's dead. And I think Morgan McNeil was doing like a type of Sabu type of gimmick and everything, but he got in the ring. You know, great. I, I wasn't there, I didn't witness it. This got told to me. Like, you know what he just did? You know, he got in the ring and said, I want a moment of silence for, um, you know, my father. That had to be great. Saddam Hussein. I said, Morgan, yeah, McNeil, Morgan McNeil did the Scottish Braveheart gimmick. Yeah, that was Live Morgan. And live so live Oregon. Sorry, I got the names mixed up. Live Oregon. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Live Oregon. I'm not Nick Neal. I don't know why I said I apologize. You know, McNeal a good guy, too. But anyways, yeah, you know, moment of sound for Dom was saying it, man. I was livid. I was mad. Yeah, that had to be the internationals, and they were trying to burn Yeah, the you know, I mean, it, it worked out bad to him, and he called me up, and yeah, we met at a heart-to-heart talk about it. He apologized. You know, he said he was kind of not made to say it, so he was encouraged to say it. He was just trying to get heat. I'm still learning the whole process of, you know, of the, of the, of the business at this yeah. time. Period. That's what they would call you know, cheap heat. Yeah. And it yeah, worked. You know, I took it all freaking real. Like, I saw them. Yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was ready to, you know, and we were trying to, you know, we were trying to get, you know, and a lot of people were trying to have vendettas about Flatline. And the, and the, the reason why I brought this up, you know, Twitter, some guy had no idea who it was, knocked my freaking door and said, does Chris Dickens live here? Who the fuck are you? It's my lady. Who the fuck are you? I said it anyways. It was Charlie. It's my first meeting when I met Charlie Anarchy. You know, like, hey, why are you knocking my damn house? I mean, I'm just waking up. I work nice shift at the sheriff's department and just waking up. Well, Chris Dickinson, said, there's a show here, and, you know, I'm here to say, fuck Flatline, go AWF, man. I'm here to, I'm here to wrestle. And I'm like, what? I called out Chris, like, what the hell is going on? And then the, the Twitter shows up, Daniel Pearson shows up. All these guys were wanting to freaking talk to me and Jay and Chris about wanting to get a promotion going again. Because apparently, they got told, your services are no longer needed. They don't got them found some talent down in Thompson. There's SWF Charlie's promotion recruited all of them, which was like Oz Knight, Ace, 
and all them, and then they, they fired Charlie, you know, and it took all his people, and that's why, that's what, that was the day Charlie knocked him on the door, he was looking for Chris, for some reason he got told my address was Chris's address, and then Chris came over there, and we, and we all had to talk, and Charlie told us a story about how, and, and of course, CJ, same, same scenario, so basically, you know, what, 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 what really happened? I, it really... You know, that's a, the thing about that is, is that I wasn't even there. You wasn't there. I wasn't. I was. I was there at Flatline. This is the time frame. Uh, I think it was two thousand six. I was like, let me be honest with you. When it come, when it came to Flatline Championship Wrestling, uh-huh. um, I, I don't know. Like me and Eric have been. This is one thing we agree on that we don't like each other. Uh, we we both think we're each other's assholes. I mean, just the thing. Let me. Let me for the people who are going to listen to this, and they're going to like, oh, he's going to talk shit about him. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, I respect him. We, he respected me. From my understanding, he respected me. We, this, we, this is Daniel we're talking th- about? Th- we're talking about Eric Muffer. Oh, Eric Muffer. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. We didn't gotcha. like each other. We're both assholes. The problem is that our personalities don't don't gel well together. Right, right. But we both loved something called professional wrestling. And we were capable of taking what we wanted and conducting business. We were very professional with each other. Um... Like I said, I was in and out of booking. Uh, there was times where I, had, you know, we were supposed to have booking meetings. I didn't show. I, you know, I got called to it was canceled and find out it was a booking meeting. I wasn't there. Uh, there were some things that we didn't see eye to eye on some things. Um, there were some things that he would do that people would talk about to this day, and you know, uh, that's that's his business. But when it came to flying championship wrestling about talent and who they were picking, who they were going to get rid of, Ed no say so in that. I heard about that story. I heard that they were trying to get Caleb Kitchens to be there when the decision was made. Yeah. I think he opted out on it. I'm not so sure. Um, you know, so when it came to Flatline Championship Wrestling, FCW days, I booked talent as far as writing the stories and stuff. I helped book matches. As far as talent relations, uh, to get technical on all this, like I had no clue who they got rid of, who they kept. I had no clue who they were going to put belts on, who they were going to take them off of. Um, you know, their business decisions, whether it be in growth, whether it be to do Page Park, uh, the Liberty Park, uh-huh. go to Thompson, which was a huge flop. And if anybody wants to talk about that and argue with that with me, just talk to Daniel about that, and he'll he'll say it was a big flop because um, they didn't network really well on that one. Even the fairgrounds, there was just a lot of all that business that happened from like 2006 to 2009, and nothing to do with the business side of that. Gotcha. Um, it was, and I can't even tell you, like, we can talk about it. We can talk about hearsay and rumors. And I can add some fuel to that fire and I can take away some heat to it. But I don't, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you legitimate answers because I wasn't there. Okay. I don't know okay. where the money went. I don't know who spent it. I don't know who made the decision to spend it. I would assume that it was Daniel and Eric because they own the company. Like I said, I don't even know, I don't even know who legally even owned the ring. You know, we got told all kind of stuff. There's we a lot of different. That, there's a lot of different stories. I mean, we got told Eric stole money and got the promotion going. And, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I was I wasn't there. You know, we were all I, told I wasn't all there. Kind of I never and, saw it. You know. I know one. I, the only thing I can say is during the whole FCW time frame, I was offered paycheck one time. And that I worked for free because it was I was just happy to be in the business, and I felt like I was breaking ground. Felt like I was paying my dues. Um, does everybody who ever worked for Flatline? Who never got paid? Ask about it. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I look at it, and you would have talked to me five years ago. Yeah, I would be really pissed off and be like, "Man, I never got paid. Fuck that shit." Blah 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 blah. Now I'm 30 years old. I look at things completely different. I look 
I look at professional wrestling completely different from now, from when the day we closed Flatline. That was oh, three yeah. months ago. Oh, yeah. Um, my perspective of everything that has happened in the last 10 years that I've been in wrestling, actually longer than that, like 12 years. And we and people talk about wrestling, how long have you been in it? And like, really, like 12 years, and I probably, I couldn't even put a number on how many matches I have because it was not smart about how I kept record of all my stuff and how I learned things. Like Jericho did that. Um, <laughs> I really wish I would have took a thing from Austin Creed, and, yeah. uh, Xavier Woods. He wrote oh, yeah, down everywhere that. he went, every match he had, he wrote down and put everything he learned. I wish I would have done that. I wish somebody would have told me that was a good idea. I know, done. right? But, um, yeah, so like, I, I, if I had chips, all I can talk about is like how I felt about it. I don't know. I don't know anything. I really don't. As much as I would like, as much as I took part in the shit talking over the years, I, I look back at it. I really do not know. I don't have any real answers. I have speculation. I have hearsay. I have what I think. Um, it was it was so bad, and like guys would get Christopher all fired up. You know, but it was the guy. Christopher would but, type his stuff but it was up the guys who, who didn't understand the business. I love Tweeter to death. Yeah, I love Drew Pate. He's a great person. Yes, he He's is. a good friend of mine. Yes, but reality is, is that he didn't understand. Here's the problem that we have with a lot of guys, and here's a problem with the wrestling business as a whole. Wrestling is an evolving entertainment. Yes, it is. It is a huge evolving entertainment. If you don't believe me, go back to the 1950s and watch Gorgeous George. And then oh, now God. you go go into the 70s where you go into the deep south uh, in the southern wrestling. And then go into the 80s where you turn into Hulkamania time. Uh-huh. Go into the 90s with cartoons and you know deep southern wrestling is trying to be legitimate still. And people aren't buying it. And, and then go into you know Attitude 2000s, yeah. or late, that late 90s, Attitude Era. And look at the wrestling business now. WWE is not even the same as it was five years ago. No, it wasn't. That's Completely not. different. Those were guys who went from the backyard and didn't understand the vision that that Eric Milford and Daniel Maine had and couldn't evolve. And the one thing you don't understand about wrestling is, is that you have to fight for your spot. You're not handed your spot. You're right. The only thing you're ever handed in wrestling is the belt after you win it. And you're, the only reason why you're handed that is because somebody booked it. Um, I mean, I, I, and, and you earn that. You earn you it do. because you have to be over with the fans. You have to do your job. You have to res- get respect from the bookers and stuff like that. But those are guys who just didn't evolve and are still to this day, in my opinion, and they're going to get mad at me for it. And, and honestly, like, like I said, like I told you when we, before yeah, we started yeah. this, my castle is not her feet away from, from, from the wrestling world. I do have some context. I do get involved with some things, but the politics, so that goes in the locker rooms. I don't really get involved in that much. My objective is to go have a good time, go back home. Um, but I just don't feel like those guys ever evolved. They you can only do hardcore wrestling for so long, and then you got to evolve it to the next level. Yeah, you know, that's why CZW has to transform their shows. They're only doing like death matches every now and then. They came from a straight deathmatch company. You know, that's why ECW closed because they never. One of the reasons they couldn't evolve to a larger audience, they were going to be stuck with those same audiences. The same audience. Um, I know I went on a huge tangent there. Probably oh, ate, fine, up some, ate up some of your time. No, no, no. You're, you're but that fine. was kind of my you're thing. Fine. So I get, like, I totally get ticked off with the guys. Like, I lost my spot to the guys in Colombia. Like, why yeah, did I lose exactly. my spot? I, why did I was not there from the beginning? Mm. From my understanding, FCW and ECWA or whatever it was called, EWA, whatever. What the fuck was that company called that you had? The Extreme Wrestling Alliance oh, bullshit does, with man. Parker. That y'all had that big thing at Lords, whatever. All that shit happened way before I even got there. Yeah. yeah. AWF. All that happened before, before I got, got there. there. 
I watched Flatline Championship Wrestling evolve from a renegade backyard company into a nicer renegade backyard company to, an, to what I called an independent wrestling company because they were able to continuously book wrestling in Augusta. And that was something that hadn't been done in the until since the eighties, right? Um, or those so people, like those you have to you have to swap in and out of town. That's why there's eight guys who just got released from WWE this week, mm-hmm. and because those guys couldn't evolve, or because they just couldn't they just couldn't catch the eye of the thirty riders at Right Raw. I don't know. wasn't there? I don't book WWE. Right, right. Um, but people get cut. It's in everything. It's business. When budgets go down, you get let go. When you're not performing, you get let go. You're right. You get sitting down in AAA. Unfortunately, in independent wrestling, there is no AAA. It's called the next company. And you move on. Um, and those guys can go run and, and do whatever. The thing about it is, when you run to another company, unless that company that you ran from is relevant to your audience at the secondary company, don't bring it up. Right. There's been many times where there's things that happened while I was running Flatline Pro Wrestling yes. that I could easily brought up that went around me, but what relevance does it have to except for the guys in the locker room? Because, well, Steve Austin did it. Cat yeah. Jack did it. Yeah. Well, WCW was relevant. Very relevant. Flatline Championship Wrestling was relevant to their audience, not to AWF audience. They were relevant to the boys, but they weren't relevant to the audience. No. Shut the fuck up. Grow up. But we were all young. Here's the thing. We were all young. We were all young. Man. We were immature. We were hungry. So anytime you got cut for something, you were angry. You were pissed. They were angry and they were pissed. They were very and they pissed. Were, and they would, try, they would come here and try to get our feather with all. I think I was part. I went on a rant that probably was never aired. Do you know Christopher? About Eric Milford and Daniel Main. This is how Christopher fired back. Christopher got on log. He, he, he did all kinds of shoes and everything. It pissed Milford off so bad. And then this, I don't know if you know this is true or not. Do you know Milford and Parker went this man's job and said, hey, we're here to kick Chris Dickens' ass. You know, no. So security it cameras. It wouldn't surprise me. Tell me it's true. Though. It was those security cameras. It was I back have the actual security footage. footage. They showed us. Where's Chris Dickens at? Well, Chris, look at me. I mean, Brandon. Well, we're here to whoop his me ass. And Brandon, you know? Me and Brandon <laughs> showed up in my job before and went to kick my ass for too. I, mean, <laughs> I will. I will. You know, I don't want to. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. But I will say something about Flatline Championship Wrestling that. I had to learn the hard way about talking smack. Yeah. Um, I was talking so much smack and doing so many things like going to Patriots Park and saying AWF's at Patriots Park. And I was doing all this stuff, and it, it took John Stoney Cannon to actually set me straight and tell me I learned more about Flatline's history through AWF. You're supposed to be promoting your brand, but you're promoting you're Flatline. You're promoting Flatline. Right. I keep telling and, and, and then on top of that, a video was made. Uh, I don't know who created I think it was Daniel. Probably Daniel. Uh, it, it had that song and the first words in it, you couldn't beat me if you wanted to. 18 wheels are rolling. Yeah, it's probably Daniel. And, and it was Daniel's always been that guy. Video. I and, love and Daniel. It said, it said to, the, to a certain few, you know who you are. I remember they, that video they, now. They never acknowledged who we were, but to. we were they acknowledging everything that they were. I right, you, were the, you were the sponsor of... He was. I would cuss, curse out, and I would cuss. What that out? They were there at Patriots Park, and know the part where they used to man's backyard doing shoot promos. Like, what the hell are y'all doing? Here's the thing. Focus on our product. Quit worrying about the competition. You what know? I t- what I tell you in like 2005, it was like we started. They started talking about Monday Night Wars and all that stuff. It was where WCW got brought up in history and stuff like that. WWE. It was always like. They were sitting there talking about what what's going on in like WWE, and that's all they're doing was flipping the channel. For instance, Tony Schiavone was it? Yeah, Tony yeah. Schiavone talking about Mick Foley. Yes. He's, he's gonna win. Audience. He's gonna win 
He's going to win the WWF Championship title tonight. Yeah, that's where they're going to put a whole bunch of asses in his seats. Yeah. And sure enough, all the viewers went over there to double check to make sure it happened. I was one of them. I turned over. Really? If I was going to win, I turned over. And I, well, I was watching that night. I remember. I heard him say the exact same thing. I did exactly that turn on USA. You know, watch uh, Foley beat The Rock. It was awesome. You know. But, you know, away from the political bullshit side, before I go back to that, you know, we get the fight line pro. I want to bring up this part, you know, you know, this is, this is just me talking as a fan, you know, watching your work and everything. And then, you know, I've seen you guys do it in IWE and I've seen you guys do it in, um, um, in Flatline. I've been well in this show, but I want to hear about Dynasty. I told Chris yesterday, I thought Dynasty was freaking awesome. My first time, that, Dynasty. That was I like, thought when you and Parker hooked up, I thought yeah. that was a perfect freaking pair. Uh, I was like totally blown away by y'all's tag matches. I really want to, I really want to hear some good stuff about you know Dynasty. I thought you know wow that was it. My first time off, matter of fact, at Jackson Fallon's place, I, I thought y'all were doing Dynasty back then too. Y'all had so much fun. I'm in the crowd, just you know, I refereed a couple times that night. And I'm in there just really just enjoying the show, and y'all had the crowd so amped up. Everybody was trying to get in the ring and fight y'all, man. It reminded me of the old days of the Horseman and Dusty Rhodes kind of scenario, but I, I, I loved it, man. I want to hear I want to hear some Dynasty stuff. What's your favorite movie? Favorites. Favorite moment happened dynasty, in, happened yeah. in Fallon's backyard. Oh yeah, this is where we were like there would be no dynasty. I don't think no. I, I'm gonna say that back. There would have been a dynasty. I don't think the the relevance to like guys who were around that era, around that time frame, um, would know this. You, you should probably remember this. But the Redneck World Order. Oh yeah, our the beginning of Stud McCoy. Stud McCoy. Yeah. That's probably why I remember. Yeah. Tweeter was involved in that. Daniel Peterson was involved with that. I think Mate Earl was involved in yeah. that. But when you when you play when you're in a Southern Harlem when you're in deep down Harlem. Yeah, yeah. Rednecks, <laughs> and you have a team called Redneck World Order, and you have a. If I didn't say, it, you'd probably just say, "Well, he's a tan white guy," but a Hispanic male. Saying he's better than everybody, uh-huh. who's claiming he's from Miami, uh-huh. and he had another this other guy who went from wearing face paint, saying, "God, I look like an idiot. Now I'm going to dress like this. I'm better than you guys are, and I can show it." And then you you do this bull rope match, and you beat the piss out of their fan favorites. That was it, man. We were over, and I remember getting on the top, getting on there, and doing the Steve Austin, like yeah, look at me yeah. now, and getting hit in the face with a beer. I was there, and that's they get the hit more And like my family's like, "Holy crap, this is going to be escalating." I loved oh, every minute because I was like, "This is a close end, get to green heat." Mm-hmm. You know, this is major heat that I'm getting here, and I loved it. And that was my big thing. I think I loved that because it was like there was one time that I could be completely open and and didn't have like a. Uh, like a guard there that I was told, like, you can't do this, can't do that. I and mean, yeah, we did it. Yeah. We got booked at IWE and, like, a couple other places me and Parker did. And it was like, well, what are we going to do? It's like, oh, let's just be the dynasty. You know, nobody knew who it was. Nobody knew got the gimmick and whatever. And I think that we could have uh, – I've always said me and Parker were good tag teams, which we actually – I did uh, Yasser Akbar, Arab American character. We actually tag team in uh, CWA at like, one time. Yeah. Uh, not a good experience <laughs> because of – who we worked and what they expected us to do, but I did my business because that's what I was paid to do. Um, but we got we got along great there, and I think it's because like when we worked each other, we worked each other so much, we trained with each other so much, yeah. we knew what we were doing ahead of time. So, so it was a, we did a lot of old school tagging in and out, in and out, in and out. And that's my that's the key thing in tag team wrestling. I never could get a few people to understand that about tag team. I, I tell Jay and Don, they're doing dead dead reckoning now. I says and they want they show me their matches and they want me to critique it. I says guys, the thing I keep telling you and the other tag team, I want to see 
frequent tag, frequent tag. You want to see good tag team wrestlers, two tag teams that are killing it right now. Yeah, you okay? know. The Revival, uh-huh. Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder, uh-huh. and uh, Gable and um, Jason, uh, was it Jason Jordan. They're doing the American Alpha. Two yeah. of the best tag teams. Uh, because it's like, my thing is, it's like the Rockers uh-huh. versus Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, the Brain Busters. We need to look they are, they are incredible. I got to watch both of them uh, work at NXT TakeOver in Dallas. Um, I got to see them work at house shows. And it's phenomenal. The guys are great. Tag team wrestling. Definition of tag team wrestling right there. Yeah. Dash, and, uh, Dash and Dawson uh, quickly in and out tagging constantly. Great wrestling. I just want to put them over. I know it doesn't mean anything to a lot of people, but because I'm just a guy in Augusta, Georgia, who loves wrestling, <laughs> they did a little bit of booking. But well, well going before I go a little further, I want, I want to hear. I want to hear a little bit more about uh, you know, you know, Parker. What, what was your earlier remembrance of you know meeting him? You guys working together? I mean, did y'all respect each other? Was there any kind of animosity between each other? Um, you know, well, all, of, all of the above. All the above. I met him once again. John Hurst is my childhood friend. Right. He has no relevance to wrestling at all. Uh, his mom and my mom grew up together in high school, childhood friend. We know each other from birth. He was my link to all the people in Harlem. I grew up in Evans, Martinez area. Um, so I met him. He was actually friends with John before I was, uh, with Parker. And then met him, and we brought off the rip. I mean, we loved wrestling. Uh, we sat around, we watched tapes all the time in his house. That's all we did. We talked about wrestling. I get off work Saturday night, go to his house, watch wrestling. Chris yeah. was there, watch wrestling all night. Wake up the next morning, watch some more wrestling. Like, okay, we're gonna go do these moves today at FCW, and we'd go do those moves. And that's essentially what we did. Um, he was like the closest thing that I had to a brother. Uh, I didn't have any family close to my age uh, that I hung out with, connected with a lot. I do have a younger sister who's nine years younger than I am, which is a huge time. That's a whole different. De- that's a decade of time. Um, so he was like a brother of mine. And, of course, when you have two boys that grow up together, they're going to fight over girls. They're going to fight over attention. Oh, yeah. They're going to fight over who's better than who. There's competition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there was there was times when we were best friends. There were times when we were brothers. There was times where we hate each other. There were times where we want to kill each other. Overall, I mean, um, I always said Brandon was the guy who never could – if he could just find that niche that he could make his own, he would have went skyrocketed. I think he found some of that at Flatline uh, Pro Wrestling. Uh, I think he found some of that at APW and, and uh, Royston. Yeah. Um, but um, I, like he like like both of us, uh, we kind of find it a little bit too late. And life has other you know, roads for us to go down, so that's, that's why true. we never really go anywhere. I, I've always liked Brandon. I think I've always respected his work. Um, I just went, we intentionally were supposed to we were originally supposed to go to wrestling school together. Didn't work out, obviously. But uh, we did a lot of fun things together. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of, a lot of everything. Every emotion you could hit. I mean, we've been there for each other for a long time. Uh, but over time, I've known him. Good lord, how long have we known each other? Since two thousand three. Yeah. So for thirteen years, I've known him, and uh, just over time, you kind of grow apart. I mean, he's moved on. Um, a little closer, Royceland or something like that yeah. now. I don't know exactly where he lives. And uh, so he's got his little family going on. And, you know, we just kind of, you know, life moves on. And, you know, I, I imagine it would be just like if he showed up tomorrow, nothing would change. So Brandon's Brandon. And when I say that, people who know Brandon Parker know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Outstanding, outstanding. Um, before I get you know to close apart flatline, I want to let you guys do the, the flatline pro. There are a couple of little questions I want to ask you about. You know, something that always personally, you know, bothered me. When I, you know, I, I knew. Uh, I'll talk about C.J. Wynn here. You know, he, he, I might know him as you know, Justin Chambers, J.C. the Georgia boy, Justin Sprewell. You know, I knew him since he was a kid. You know, he went to my church and everything. And I was friends with his older brother. You know, and you know, he, he was one I actually kind of was really kind of upset about because I, I see this guy, he had a lot of talent. I thought he was a great technical wrestler, in my, my personal opinion. You know, I thought he was a good wrestler. I mean, I really generally do, you know. But I never could figure out, you know, when he was telling me he, he, was, he, he was champion, you know, at Fallon's place for a few months, you know. Then he lost the pink sun to pole, you know, the tweet and everything. But by the time y'all get out to Patriots, now he told me he's probably his own mouth that might did this to him. I was just curious your take on that made that man a jobber for a year. You know, he had him constantly losing and losing and losing and losing. You know, and I just, I don't understand why. I don't know if it's because he had fallen out with Milford, you know, or what. But, like, when you get a chance to start flatline pro, and granted, yeah, I know he's pro A to be at this point, but he's also still trying to, you know, NSC and get his name back there, you know. How come you guys didn't want to give him a shot? I mean, what, a flatline personal? pro? Yes, sir. Uh, well, here's the thing. It goes back to my thing of, People needed to evolve. When you evolve, evolve. You got to evolve in the right direction. Um, we we were taking flatline. Flatline Pro was not a place where the boys could come hang out and have fun, and we're gonna all shoot the breeze with each other. And right, oh, we're right. gonna throw on a wrestling show together. It was a business. Um, and at the time, it was. I think we talked about bringing them in. We actually talked about bringing him in a couple of times as JC the Georgia boy. Okay. And scheduling didn't work out, or he, I don't remember because it happened so early uh, in the early stages. We talked about because we were going to do a gimmick battle royal, and it was like an opportunity that, yeah. to see if anybody still had any relevance because there were there were fans from the old FCW days that were like, "Hey, where's Common Man? Hey, where's JC Georgia boy? And where's Hans?" And so it was an opportunity to see if any of those guys had any relevance. Timing never happened. Yeah. Yeah. And and flatline evolved. We went from using the guys we normally would use on a regular basis to getting a core talent that we had that we were going to book. Same 10, 15 guys. And we were going to rotate everybody around it. I mean, we got guys from North Carolina, Virginia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee. We weren't just sticking with what we had in CSRA. Right. We're going everywhere. Um, and when you run them, we, FCW ran two, two shows a month. Mm-hmm. Um, flatline? One show. We start off with eight matches. We're eventually scaling down to like six to seven matches. We get smart about how to book the shows. Yeah. So you look at that. So you get one tag team. So you get eight eight guys in one match, and then you they leave you with seven or six other five or six other matches. You only have ten people. So you're looking at twenty people a night to be able to be booked, and you want to book the best that you and your budget can afford. And essentially, that's what we had. He just he just didn't the time a the timing never worked out, and b if it ever did work out. The, the evolving uh, flatline wasn't there for him. Like he just wasn't going to meet. I, to be a really nice way about it, yeah. Daniel and I had standards. Um, and that and we just like, whether you agree with it or not, um, if you didn't meet the criteria we were looking for, then, you know, it didn't work out. Well, that was fine. it. That's, that's how business works sometimes. You know, and, and that's just how it worked out. Tune in next week for part two of our sit-down interview with Chris Wiggins right here on The Shootout with Bill Blanchard.